Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Meet me in Acts chapter 2 as we continue our journey through the wonderful, amazing book of Acts, right? This uh, narrative that tells us about the early church, the first followers of Jesus, those who were around, right, when Jesus uh, was crucified, when he was resurrected from the dead, and then when he ascended to heaven. This group had to figure out then, okay, what do we do now? This group that was invited into an adventure, an ends-of-the-earth adventure, right? Go to Jerusalem and then Judea and then Sumeria. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This group that uh, Jesus leaves them, but he doesn't leave them entirely, right? He gives them his spirit and he reminds them they have stories and experiences with him. Chapter 1, we looked at... Uh, Jesus's mission, right? The adventure that he invites them into and then Jesus leaves and then chapter two, we find them waiting and, and then the Spirit comes. And this is where we were last Sunday, right? Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit who does indeed come in power. He comes with this uh, verbal, this gift of verbal communication, the ability to understand each other. He comes and he brings <clears throat> different groups of people together, this amazing unity. And then he enables Peter to stand up and to speak to the wonders of God, to explain what's going on, to tell people about Jesus. And then 3,000 people respond to that good news, become a part of the ecclesia, right, the church. And then they're kind of off and running. And that brings us to the, the end of chapter 2, our text for today, where we get a picture, right? We get a little glimpse, a sort of peek behind the curtain of what this church was like, what their, their life together, their rhythms were as a community. Now, all of that is the backdrop for today, but also want to add this to it as well. One of the reasons we turn our attention here now <clears throat> is because this first church did not know what they were getting themselves into, right? There was no blueprint. There was no map for where they were headed. They had the power of the Spirit, and they had their stories and experiences with Jesus, but otherwise they were moving into a very uncertain future. And in the same way, we are at a moment in time in history where there's uncertainty about the church, there's uncertainty in our country, there's certainly the ongoing uncertainty of the pandemic that we've been living through. And so this feels like a very good place for us to come back to, to be grounded in these stories of the first church and to be reminded that even though we don't know the future, we don't know what happens next, we are on an adventure and we're doing it together and we have his spirit, his presence with us, power and witness as we move forward on the mission that God has given us. So all of that brings us to Acts 2 verse 42, 42 through 47. Again, this amazing picture of the first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread there and in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 3,000, 3,001 and two and on and on it went. What an incredible thing, right? We come back to this. And when I say we, I mean the church for the last 2,000 years comes back to this picture over and over again. Because it just, it inspires that, that like, oh, what could it be like to be a part of a community like that? Amy and I, our first year of marriage, we had a roommate. <laughs> I would not recommend this, by the way, but we had a roommate because we made this intentional decision to live in community together with other people. And in particular, we, we lived in this neighborhood in Boston called Dorchester, which was the hood. If you're not familiar with it, the movie Gone Baby Gone, several scenes in that movie filmed in the neighborhood that we were living in. We were there on purpose. We spent our Saturdays at a place called Quincy Street Missional Church, uh, this, this tiny little church in this corner of Boston that met in a former chop shop. We were teaching kids about Jesus. We were getting to know their families. We're trying in, just, in, in any way possible to understand their world uh, and what their life was like. Sunday nights, we would gather together with some other folks who had moved to the, the neighborhood to do this with us. We'd gather together to eat, to break bread. We'd pray for these kids. We'd dream and discern what God might be up to in that forgotten corner of the city. This was all on purpose. We wanted, we had this desire to be with a group of people who cared about the things we cared about. We wanted to have an experience like what we see in Acts chapter 2. We were practicing what John Perkins calls relocation. This intentional choice about where you live based on following Jesus and discerning the needs of a city. The principle of relocation has, has it informed that decision and has continued to inform our life together as a couple and as a family. We've always asked uh, these kinds of questions whenever we um, move. What kind of neighborhood are we going to live in? Uh, how will that neighborhood shape us? Who will our neighbors be? Are they going to be different from us or similar to us? Can we walk within that neighborhood? Can we walk to a friend's house? What's the neighborhood school like? If our kids go there, how will they be shaped by being at that school? Will it shrink or expand their view of the world? Now I begin here with this funny story about our first year of marriage and our roommate and the kind of community that we were a part of. We begin here because following Jesus, the adventure of following Jesus, is not just about learning more information about Jesus, about Christianity, about a religion. Learning is part of it, for sure, but it is a, a slice of a much larger pie. Discipleship in the way of Jesus is about your whole life being ordered, formed, oriented around the good news of Jesus. Your whole life telling a resurrection story. This is why, again, this picture of the first church is so relentlessly compelling to us. Could it really be like that? Could the, my experience of church really look like that? It draws out awe and wonder about this adventure of community, of what would it look like to pursue Jesus' mission together? 
in this radical way. Let's get into this picture a little bit. This rich community was based on four core devotions. And I love that word devoted, right? Loving, loyal, devotion is about what you give your time and energy to. This community was devoted to, gave time and energy to four things. The apostles' teaching, okay, they were a learning community. Again, learning is part of it. It's one slice of the pie. They were what we might call a theological community. We want to know more about this Jesus and what's going on in and through him. They were devoted to fellowship, right? They were a relational community, not just a theological community, a relational community. Now, relational community might feel like a redundant sort of phrase, but this is so important. They were devoted to one another. I'm sure you've been a part of communities where you were not devoted to one another. You were just there because of a benefit or um, maybe it was a club kind of thing. You had a membership to it. This was not a club. These people were deeply committed to life together, to friendship with each other. That word fellowship that's translated into our, our English uh, our English Bibles, koinonia, right? Deeply devoted to each other. So they were a theological community. They were a relational community. They were devoted to breaking bread. Now this is mentioned twice in the passage. I think the second uh, mention has to do with the idea of like eating meals together. I think the first mention though has more to do with communion, right? The, the practice that Jesus said, hey, when you get together and you share this meal, do it in remembrance of me. We, I might, we might say it this way. They were a sacramental community, right? Formed by the ritual of communion, remembering Jesus and his sacrifice, his death and resurrection. Finally, they, they were formed, they were devoted by, to prayer, right? They were a praying community. Theological, relational, sacramental, praying community devoted to these four things. And from these devotions, crazy things happened all around them, right? Miracles, these wonders that were happening through the apostles. There was radical generosity. People would sell property and possessions to meet practical needs. They ate together. They met together regularly, and they saw their thing grow. The ecclesia grew from 3,000, by the time you get to chapter 4, which is not too far from here, they're up to 5,000 people, a part of this adventure together. They were experiencing it, and they were doing life together. Now, I want to slow down here for just a, a moment, because there's, there's a pattern to their life together that I think is important for us to see. It's important for us to see because it's a pattern that we see in the Gospels, we see it throughout the New Testament, uh, we see it here in this picture of the early church. And it's also important because it's a pattern that we use at Discovery as the foundation for our discipleship process. We use it to build our mid-sized communities around. We use it to think through our structure as a whole church. And the pattern is, is this, three very simple words, up, in, out. Up, in, out. Beautifully simple. Now, some big picture perspective. This pattern is, again, not just uh, here in this passage in Acts 2. It, we see it flowing through the, our whole understanding of the story of Scripture. This story of the triune God, a relational being, this God of creation who desires to share that relationship 
with us. God does not create the world to just kind of sit back and observe from a distance. He creates to be with us. God is relationship. Again, the theological word here is Trinity. Three persons, one being. This perfect community of love he needs, he wants to extend to us, invites us into this relationship with him. Now, the tragedy of the story is that we, his creatures, rebel against this, right? We reject the relationship with him. This is the definition of sin, rejecting right relationship with God. But God does not give up on us. He pursues us and makes a way for us to be in right relationship. Again, through his son, Jesus, his life and death and resurrection. Jesus brings, inaugurates the kingdom of right relationships. He teaches us how to live in this kingdom of love, love for God and love for people. And again, the pattern that we see in the Gospels, in the New Testament, here in Acts chapter 2, it can be summarized in these three words, up and out. It gives a, a structure, it gives us rhythms is the word we like to use. It gives us rhythms for living in this kingdom of right relationships. So let me talk about each of those things for just a moment. The up rhythm, the up rhythm is all about devotion to God, right relationship with God. In Acts 2 specifically, we see prayer, wonders, praise, learning, all these different aspects that go into cultivating our direct and personal relationship with this triune creator God. Our church adventure with the practices or the spiritual disciplines has uh, application, I think, to all three of these rhythms, but they are especially helpful here. We are a practice-based community because we want to experience relationship with God. So that's the up rhythm. The end rhythm is about devotion to one another right relationship with the church, having uh, companions and comrades for the adventure. In Acts 2, we see fellowship, breaking bread, having everything in common, meeting together in the temple and in homes, these spaces where they could have friendship and relationship with each other. For us, we have our groups, our mid-sized communities, the gathering on Sunday morning. All these are vital to the life of our church, not just because they're activities, but because they create and foster friendship, relationships, fellowship. Finally, there's the out rhythm, devotion to the community, right? Devotion to the mission that God has called us to, to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. This is about pursuing right relationships outside the church community with Davis, with our classmates in our neighborhoods. In Acts 2, we see signs, wonders, favor with all the people. We see people selling property, meeting tangible needs. We see their numbers being added to. There's so many expressions of this at Discovery, right? Some of them are big, kind of everybody gets involved in them. Things like Serve Sunday, school supply drives. Some of them are are very personal, individual things. People that you are inviting to stuff. People that you are spending time having coffee with, sharing your story with them. Some of them are are kind of in that in-between space, right? Our mid-sized communities are doing some beautiful things to serve our neighbors. Whatever sort of level that might be happening at, though, it all exists, right? We exist as a church to be ambassadors for this good news, to bear witness 
to what Jesus has done for us and to share that with others here in this place. Now I want to pause here and ask a, a couple of questions. This was just a very kind of brief summary of each of these rhythms. We go into it in more depth in our mid-sized communities. You can also read about it on the webpage. But right now I want to pause, kind of move away from information and just invite the Spirit to speak to us for a moment. Right? This is where we were last Sunday. Right? God wants to speak to us. As we walk through each of those rhythms, they go together. They flow into one another. It's difficult to separate them out, but what might the Spirit be speaking to you? Is there something in one of those areas where you feel like, oh, I need to probably respond to that? Are you being invited into right relationship with God? Have you accepted and received His free gift of grace through His Son, Jesus? Maybe in the difficulty of the last year, you've kind of been holding God a bit at a distance, arm's length, and he's saying, hey, come on, come on over, come on back, let's spend some time together. Are you being invited into right relationship with our community? Have you been holding back from serving, from giving, from generosity, from loving your neighbors in some way? Finally, are you being invited into right relationship with the church? Have you been resisting the call to together, to community with other Jesus followers? Now, it's important to, to note that uh, this up and out pattern is not a formula. It is a vision. Similarly to, to Acts chapter 2, the picture we get of the church is not a, a formula for what church should be. It's a vision for what church can look like. And we need this vision so desperately, right? Uh, we need our imaginations fueled because of the times we are in that can be so discouraging. Some of us, in, in this uncertainty, we feel the need to pull back. Let's just go back to the way things used to be. Others of us, we feel the pull to give up. What's the point of any of this? Why even go to church? Why be a part of a church community. And again, given what we've been through over the last year, I get it. It does feel hard and tiring and overwhelming to reconnect. But here's the thing. We need it. We were made for this. Made for the together. Made to do life together. There are no solo disciples of Jesus. Jesus gave his life, yes, for us individually, but he gave his life to build the church. God is relationship and his kingdom, his church, is relational. Three times in this brief picture in Acts 2, Luke uses the word together. Uh, and that's really the big idea here, right? All these things that were going on, that, that makes this picture of the early church so special. It was their togetherness that stood out. That was worth repeating three times. The mess and the magic of church is in the together. The beauty and the power of the church is in the together. And we are doing this together. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest uh, academic star early in his, his career. Um, I love his writings. They've been so helpful for me. 
uh, in my adventure of following Jesus. He was a professor at Harvard for a while, was becoming a very prominent scholar, rising up the ranks. And then he gives all that up to move into a community in Toronto called Daybreak, where he lived with and cared for adults with a a variety of special needs. And, And his story Speaking of relocation, one of the most radical gospel-centered relocation stories ever. He would still accept speaking gigs and do some traveling, but his commitment to together, to his new community, was so deep that he would always take someone from daybreak with him wherever he would go. On one occasion, he was invited to speak in Washington, D.C., and he takes along his friend Bill. Henry writes, at different times in the days before we left, Bill would say, we're doing this together. Yes, I would say, Bill, we are doing this together. You and I are going to Washington to proclaim the gospel together. Bill did not for a moment doubt the truth of this. Well, I, Henry says, was quite nervous about what to say and how to say it. Bill showed great confidence in his task. And while I was still thinking about Bill's trip with me primarily as something that would be nice for him, Bill was, from the beginning, convinced he was going to help me. As we boarded the plane, Bill reminded me yet again, we're doing this together, aren't we, Henry? Yes, Bill, we sure are. So they fly to D.C., they settle into the hotel, which Bill thoroughly enjoyed, and the conference begins. Henry gets up to speak, and Bill follows him to the podium. Henry writes, it was clear that he had a much more concrete idea about the meaning of doing it together than I did. <laughs> when Henry would get through a page of notes, Bill would take that page and he'd place it upside down on the table next to them. Occasionally in the middle of a point, Bill would interrupt, I've heard that before. Henry says, Bill's presence with me created a new atmosphere in the ballroom, lighter, easier, more playful. Somehow Bill had taken away the seriousness of the occasion and it brought to it some homespun normality. As I continued my presentation, I felt more and more that we were indeed doing this together, and it felt good. After the final talk, the crowd stands and applauds Henry, and in the middle of the applause, Bill leans in and says to Henry, can I say something now? Henry writes, my first reaction was, oh boy, How am I going to handle this? He might say something weird. But then I caught myself in my presumption and I said, everybody sit down. Bill would like to say a few words. Henry writes, Bill took the microphone and said with all the difficulties he has in speaking, last time when Henry went to Boston, he took John Smelter with him. This time he wanted me to come with him to Washington and I am very glad to be here with you. Thank you very much. And that was it. Everyone stood up and gave him a warm applause. As we walked away from the podium, Bill said to me, Henry, did you like my speech? Very much, I answered. Everyone was really happy with what you said. Afterwards, they mingled with people. Bill was the the star of the sort of post-conference event, making more friends and connections than Henry did. And then they get on a plane and they fly home. As we flew home, Henry says, Bill looked up from the word puzzle book that he takes with him wherever he goes, and he said, Henry, did you like our trip? Oh, yes, I answered. It was a wonderful trip, and I'm so glad you came with me. Bill looked at me attentively, and then he said, 
and we did it together, didn't we? We did it together, didn't we? The beauty and the power of the church is in the together. And so my question for you is, are you in it? Are you in it together? As we get ready for communion, communion is, is often a, a, an individual thing, right? Where we have some time where we can reflect and respond. We, we think about maybe what we heard before or what's been going on in our life. We examine ourselves before we take the elements. And then we have this moment where we remember what Jesus has done for us. And it can be very singular and individual. And yet the gospel is relational. God is relationship. And there's certainly good news for us individually, right? Jesus dies for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. But the experience of the gospel is not individualistic. The experience of the gospel is communal. It's in the together. Now, we take communion each week, and of course, we do it to remember what Jesus has done for us. But we also do it to remember what Jesus has done for us. Are you with me? So what I want us to do now, even uh, as we gather online in this way, I want us to take communion together. If you need to pause and go get something for uh, your elements this morning, do that. But once you have them in front of you, take your bread, your pancake, whatever element you have that represents Jesus' body, broken for you, and then take and eat the body of Christ. As we break bread together, take and eat the body of Christ, broken for you, broken for us, that we might be in right relationship with him and with each other.